When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Can you imagine an imaginary menagerie? Manager imagining managing an imaginary menagerie. Join me, join me, Stan. Your voice practice uh-huh. it reminds me of when you used to come to the studio to record your perspective lessons. Uh-huh. What was that, like eight years ago? Yeah. Um, <laughs> six or seven anyway. Six, six or seven. Yeah. Um, we need to find those recordings. Those, those are gold. Were they? Yes. They're so funny. This will be the last take. 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 Yeah. So many times when you're in front of a camera or even a microphone, you can be nervous. And so the nervousness results in mispronouncing words out of the tension of getting Mm -hmm. them wrong. And so before you simply do tongue twisters. Tongue twisters. That's great. What's your favorite one? Let's do do one one of your favorites. Oh, there's so many of them. There's one I made up. Ooh, you there, made there your ones, own? There, no, there was these, these old ones like lemon liniment, lemon liniment, lemon liniment. But I made one up. Show her your uvula. Show oh, her geez. your uvula. Okay. You sure you want to go maybe, with that one? Maybe not. <laughs> you, maybe not. You want to try another one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a critical cricket critic. I didn't make that one up. That's Ooh. an old one. A critical cricket critic. A critical cricket critic. A critical cricket critic. A critical cricket critic, yes. A critical cricket critic. Yes, and there are all of those seashore and seashell critic. ones. Yeah, oh, I know that one. Yeah, Sally sold seashells by the seashore, and there's also Sally Selfish selling shellfish, so Sally Shellfish seldom sell. Okay. I, the, the one I used to do as a kid was, how many woodchucks would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Yeah. And then, a few years later, I found that there's an answer to that one, Yeah. and that if a woodchuck could chuck wood, it would chuck as much wood as it could. Wow, and, that's and a hard like, oh! one. Really? Can, yeah. The one you just did before sounded way harder. Well, thanks. Show her your uvula. <laughs> that's really difficult. <laughs> that just sounds like a regular sentence. How is that a tongue twister? Well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just a, when we were doing what? those, we were getting a kick out of what, what it was saying. Hi, oh. Stan. Marshall. What's going on, bro? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. We got another Marshall's Book Club episode today, huh? Yeah. And my biggest concern about it is that when I do book reports, I just talk and talk and talk. Somebody said that it was exhausting because it was too verbose, but I suppose if you're going to give a book report, uh, you're going to give a book report. 
Well, yeah, I, I fall into the same trap usually when I talk about stuff that I just learned about. It's yeah. like, well, I gotta, I gotta tell you everything. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not doing my job. Yeah. Well, no, no, we, you can't tell this. I know, this, I know. It's you gotta simplify it. You gotta yeah, make yeah, sure yeah, they yeah. understand everything you say, not just two percent of the stuff you you say. But okay. Yeah. Let I, I'll try to. Do you want me to just cut you off every time you get too complex and be like, bro? Yeah. Or you could do it the polite way. Really back. You could do it okay. the polite way by just going. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Yeah, Raise yeah, my hand yeah. like that. See, I have a question. That way I can finish my train of thought rapidly knowing that I'm going on too long. Okay. Okay. This will be the sign. Okay. Should I, should I do any, <laughs> any kind of like any, anything? No? Okay. Just raise my hand. Okay. Got it. Yeah. That's enough. <laughs> well, it's important, of course, in doing a book report that the book of report is of yeah. interest to the audience. Okay. And so we should let everybody know that this is not a this is not a report on a drawing book. This is a report on a writing book. Writing two versions. Writing, writing the, natural the natural way. way. Yes. So this isn't the natural way to draw. No. By Nicolaides. No. This is writing the natural way by Gabrielle Lucer Rico, and she dropped the Lucer from her okay. name in the second version, and it's Gabriel Rico, PhD. Okay. And, uh, it's, Is that it's, the biggest change that she made in the second version? No, no. <laughs> okay. There are a lot of changes in the second version. That's a separate topic. Maybe we'll get toward that at the end. And also, toward no. the end, it has some things in common with well, Chemo Nicolaides. Oh, oh, with, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, well, maybe I should start with that. Okay, yeah. It, here's what it has in common. It is a writing book that is not meant to be read. It's meant to be worked through, just like Nicolaides says, don't read through this book, do the exercises just like you would okay. in a arithmetic book. But however, you can read through writing the natural way and enjoy it. It is good reading, but it is full of exercises. Is she a good writer? She is a good writer. Is she a natural writer? She is a natural writer. <laughs> All right. In fact, since you asked me if she's a good writer, uh, I, you know how sometimes we remember liking things years ago, and then when we go back to them, we find out, what did I like about that? Yeah. This has had the opposite effect. I read this oh, 31 so years like ago. And you hated it. No, I liked it a lot. In fact, oh. I thought that it was revolutionary. I felt like well, it was life-changing. That's not the opposite then. No, 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 no. It wasn't, it wasn't an exact opposite. <laughs> it wasn't okay. a counter change. Okay. Uh, I felt like it was the most significant influence on myself as a creator. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've thought that for 30-some years. And then I went back to it in these last two months. I have been immersed in reading both versions of these, this book to compare them. Okay, now I gotta know why. Why, why would you? Why don't you just read the second version? Are there still things about the first version that are better? Yes. Oh. Yes. When oh, wow. when she, she updated this, she took out the word "right brain" from the cover, and it might be because oh. "right brain thinking" has fallen into some disrepute. It, it <laughs> yeah. might be. Uh, Maybe. Whereas in the first one, she it, it start, you know the subtitle is using right brain technique. She still explains all that, and that I think may be the the least useful thing about the book is all of the business between left and right brain. However, if that bothers you so much 
that you can't get through the book, it's your loss. Uh, the alchemists were wrong about their ability to turn lead into gold, but they were not wrong about lead and gold being two different things and that gold was more valuable. And there's a <laughs> big deal in there uh, about that we have two modes of thinking. And there's no question about that. And the elaborating on our two modes of thinking is an important part of this book because what she gets at for the creative brainstorming process is to tap in to that mode that we would call the creative mode that is very childlike, that makes associations, that is emotional, impulsive, all that. She has a technique in here called clustering that is one of the best, it is the best technique I know right now with a couple of rivals like Sterling Hundley's techniques that Plus are, uh, it's just the best I know for generating ideas. Now, well, should we pause and go into clustering or are you going to come back to that? Because I really want to know. I mean, you just said it's the best technique. Oh, oh, well, let I, me I answer. Kinda... <laughs> First, let me answer the question that you asked earlier. Okay. She took stuff out for the second book that she shouldn't have taken out. There were great okay. things in that first book. And okay. she put like things. Uh, well, it's filled, these books are filled with little vignettes of sayings from other writers mm -hmm. in the margins. There's little oh, yeah. bits. And what you get in these is a summation of so many other writing books okay. that she'll take a paragraph out of that one or a quote from that one or uh, a saying from Einstein or whatever. And some of those did not make it into the second book. However... The second book has a number of good things in it that the first one didn't. And I don't know, it's a difference between the 1980s and then closer to 2000, I think, that was the stretch between these. So Someone each, needs to just combine the two. Here's what I'm going to do, Stan. You're, you're going to do it? I, I'm not going to do it officially with a publisher. I bought extra copies of these. I'm going to take it to FedEx. I'm going to hack out the spine. I'm going to three-hole punch them and I'm going <laughs> to interlace them. And so, you're going to resell them. Yeah, I've read through it twice in the last couple of months. I've been living in this book since I since the Hitmakers book. And Marshall, you're a remix DJ, except with writing. You're yes, <laughs> you're just gonna be like, kick, 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 and then like put them together in a new way. And you're yes. gonna put your name on it. So I've got one more reading of this book in me, uh -huh. and it will be at least a month, maybe two. And I'm hoping that it will be around students where we're going to apply these techniques to whatever projects we're working on and see if we can do our best work in response to what is truly an innovative way. And you could say, well, how come it didn't come in until the 1980s? Uh, I think that she just, she just found a practical way that people have been using in one way or another for thousands of years because it's based on nature. Clustering, should, okay, I, here's where I'll explain clustering. Okay, I'm excited. Clustering is where you start with a word, whatever okay. word, the title of what you're working on, a uvula. core word, a let's, nucleus. Let's start with uvula. <laughs> no, let's don't. Why? Okay, I'll let you start with, you're gonna do the ones with uvula. Okay, I'll go through this exercise with you. What's I want to go? I want to cluster something. Okay, uh, well, so you, uvula. You can, you can choose uvula. Uvula. Can choose yeah, uvula. That's, that's the word. I start with a word, and my word is uvula. Now what? You write the word down and put a circle around it. Oh, okay. 
You have to do this with <laughs> someone's going to find paper this paper and, and be like, "What the heck?" Yeah, they're going to wonder about you. You, you, okay. Oh, circle. Can it be an oval? Or does yes, it, be it a can. Circle? It can. A circle, an oval. The idea is to put a boundary around it. Oh, it could be a, like a rectangle then. No, it's better not to do a rectangle. Oh, what? <laughs> That's illegal? Here, here's why. Now, she doesn't make a big deal of this. She does allude to it. But if you make a rectangle, you're assuming that a left side and a right side and a top side and a bottom side oh, start to have significance. So, the fact mm. that you've got roundness in there leaves it as it should be, as creativity should be in the early stages. Okay. It should be as fluid, as flexible, as as curved, as... as well, I'm glad I asked. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now what? Okay, wait a second. <laughs> if one of if one of Gabriel's daughters sees this podcast, I'm afraid that they're going to say, "Wait a second, she didn't say you couldn't use a rectangle." Well, that's your own. That's your suggestion. I, I understood that it's she implied. didn't make a big deal out of it. Yes, yeah. I already understood okay. that part. Now, yeah. here's what you do with a time limit on it, so that you do not take your time to think too much. You make satellite uh -huh. connections all around and you do them emotionally, freely, associationally, not locking down, not worried whether it's right, whatever pops into your head. Anything. Yes. Do I, have, do I have to connect lines to each one or can yes, I start writing the words idea, around? Is that this to, leads to this. And then... Can I have lead, things leading out of the things that I just created? That's the whole idea. Hey, ah, man, my paper's not big enough. I'm just using a napkin. I, I probably need like a big whiteboard or something. I don't know whether you failed as a student or I failed as a teacher, but I'm going to take it on myself. I should have <laughs> said, start with a bigger piece of paper. Ah, see, I'm so glad that I'm doing this exercise real time here, Marshall. How many mistakes have we already identified? No rectangles, no napkins. <laughs> Well, let's see what else I can do wrong. I had this imagination that this was going to be like an orderly lecture, an exposition what? What? on the merits of this book. Okay, okay that's but you, your mistake. That was my mistake, yes. Yes. That, I was trying to get order too early in the process. There you go. You got to start with chaos and then The universe starts with chaos. Yes, Marshall. Okay. Without form. Okay, uvula. Yes, okay. I'm going to go with mouth. I'm going to go with saliva. <laughs> At least you know what a uvula is. <laughs> hey, I teach anatomy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, let's see. What else can I go with? I can go with pink. I can go with anatomy. You could. Don't neglect what it sounds like. Ah, that's a good one. So I, I went with color. Your violin. It sounds like a violin. Yo, uvula, your violin. Oh, the word sounds. Yeah, like yeah the, what the word sounds like. Rhymes can be part of it. Opposites can be part of it. Oh, that's right. Any, literally anything could. Anything that makes you think. Any kind of connection. <laughs> yes. What what we know about creativity is that it generally starts with a burst of enthusiasm, emotion, yeah. energy, childlikeness, explosions. Yeah. I got my second my, or my first child of a child. Good. What, what, what was it? Uh, anatomy led to Proko. <laughs> 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 wow. wow You've that. claimed the territory worldwide. <laughs> Boom. All right. Already making it about me. 
Okay. Um, now let's see. What does Proko lead to? Proko leads to success. For it does to uh, professional drawing skills. <laughs> education impact. Hey, gosh, we're wandering all over the place. Okay, but I I'm just done. listened I'm to done. your. I no, you aren't done. I'm you not, aren't done. Oh my god. You're, you have to spend five minutes, maybe ten minutes on this. Okay, well, we'll have to skip ahead then. We're yeah. not going to make people... Yeah, and I think also it is probably best done not with a camera on you. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Or with an oh, awareness okay. that this is being documented. Because you notice that when we play, because we're not being watched, when we are absolutely comfortable, we will come up with things that we would never dare to come up if we were being watched or scrutinized. So, this is a way to get it out there. I'm fine, Marshall. I'm not thinking about you at all right now. Like, look at this creativity that's already happening here. Okay. Oh, yeah. I went backwards and I spelled aluvu, which then le led to olive oil. Olive oil. That's great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and also, olive oil is actually, it helps. Does it, don't some people use it to like, Soften their uvula. Yeah, so it's actually connected in two ways there. <laughs> it is. Now, here's, here's other things. You make this personal. Yeah. The, 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 the time I came up with the term, show her your uvula, was in a doctor's <laughs> office. Oh, I can't believe I didn't with, put that down. With, with, in a doctor's office, telling a child <laughs> or, or hearing, you know, open your mouth, just occurred to me, show her your uvula. It occurred to me yeah. to say that. And, uh, yeah, flu. And so, yeah, okay. doctor's flu. visit. Uh, uh, what do they call those tongue depressor things? The the ones that they put on your, the, the doctor puts on your tongue, yeah. little sticks, yeah. ice yeah. cream sticks. So when you put uvula, <laughs> you put show her next to that, and then you can cluster around that to other things that it will occur to you to do. I just put Marshall instead of show her your uvula. That makes sense to me. Okay, now, okay, <laughs> what's the next step? Let's pretend I went Here five minutes. Here is the next step. After. Yeah. Five to ten minutes of these things, yeah. uncensored, unselfconscious. The next thing to do is pull away from it, uh -huh. and I'm I'm embedding my own view on this. Come back to it and assess what we've done graphically to what? look at what we ended up doing in an unselfconscious mode. That we got a lot of ideas over here and not many ideas over here, and. When we look uh, at it, all of this chaos of our mind, all of this stuff that is hard to grip, you put it out on a piece of paper, and then when you come back to it, you find new connections that can lead you to do another one of these. And the first time I ever saw it demonstrated was in the 1980s at a seminar where Robert McKee, before he had a book, showed how the clustering technique can lead you to make connections in story uh, between characters, ideas, uh, events, plot devices, etc., and that it can be a, a shortcut to finding ways to unify a story. And the little vignette that he did, I think it was about how, uh, maybe in a murder mystery, 
how the characters could be suspects and then brought together. I can't even remember, but I do remember that it blew my mind that in such an efficient way, you could explore combinations of ideas and come up with something that works faster than if you've got it stewing around in the ether of your brain for hours or days. This is a way not only to dump it out, but to dump it out with a phenomenon of a core word that keeps you always going back to that core word and relating things and from all sides where there's no worry about whether they're going to connect. The connecting happens later. It seems like clustering isn't just for writing. I mean, this could be for any kind of creative thing. I mean, any kind of creative I, if thing. If I'm starting a new business, I could I could do this to to figure out in various verticals. Or if I'm doing a painting, I could do this to help with my storytelling and composition. My, I, I don't know. Create my character development. Yes, Th that's why I'm so excited about it. Yeah. Okay. Let me tell you how it affected me once I bought the book. Okay and read it in 1990, I, I started developing my composition course mm -hmm. around that time. And I used clustering to figure out what are the most important things that everyone who composes well, and this is not just picture makers, mm. this is storytellers and this is musicians. When they talk about composition, there are a lot of words that come up and I got all of these things together and I put together a structure for how to teach composition that I'm using with variations ever to the, even to this day. And then one of the other things is that this book is filled with the principles of composition. The titles of the oh. chapters oh, really? are the things that you care about in picture composing. What, like, can you read a few of those? Oh, yes. Well, I, I don't even need to read them. Yeah. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> one of them is, is metaphor. Okay. That when one thing is like another, it brings into this thing the feeling of that other and that that can be mined for good use. Another is recurrence. That there are echoes and rhymes in songs and there are echoes and rhymes in nature and there are echoes and rhymes in, in writing and there are echoes and rhymes in paintings and in stories. Yeah. They're called motifs. Another is imagery. It's related to metaphor. Is that if you're a writer, you care about the sensory experience that you are creating for the reader because they're just looking at black marks on white paper. And so if that's all they get sensorily, they don't get the sound of music or the beauty of color, then it's the writer's responsibility to really develop imagery. And this is an aside, but imagery in writing and storytelling does not just mean pictures. Yeah, it, it could. Is it imagined pictures? It makes you, or is it also feelings no. and sounds as yes. well? Yes, oh, okay. sounds. So in in uh, in Castaway, when Phil uh, or Chuck, the the main character in Castaway that Tom Hanks plays, when he is working a copy machine and it's going, ch -ch 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 and then he's doing that when he's starting fire and then he's doing it later when he's clicking a flashlight. Hmm. That is a motif of sound that goes through that whole thing. It's also referred to as imagery and smells, even the uh, repetitive. So, okay. I was going to uh, ask that. Is it yeah. all the senses? Yeah. It could feeling, flavor, smell, yes. hearing, seeing. Yeah. <laughs> Those are all of them, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm so smart.
for a picture maker, the textures of uh, of paint can be a part of what an artist is concerned with mm -hmm. as they are composing their picture, the mm -hmm. way a writer composes a a, a story. Uh, here's another one, okay. which she calls creative tension, and it's it's has to be explained because she's okay. using using the term where she's not talking about tension like anxiety. It is the use of opposites, the use of polarities. Does that create tension? Contrast creates tension? Yeah. And she even integrates it into the clustering process. That you can start with a word and then start to cluster the opposite of that word around it or, more interestingly, cluster one circle that has two opposites within it. Cold, hot, love, hate, old, new. They're both in the same circle. And then you are given this contradiction that part of our mind says, wait, can't be both at the same time. But that is to get us beyond that and to embrace polarities, embrace contradictions, because they create tension and dynamism that leads to really strong writing. You might need to explain this to me a little better. Because yeah, when I think of tension, I can see how opposites could have tension where they're fighting against each other, but I also think that opposites can create balance and relief because they do. you ever gotten a massage, like a yes. professional one? Yes. You know how if, if they like, they're spending too much time in like one spot mm -hmm. <laughs> on one side and you're like, God damn it, go to the other side already. <laughs> it's like there's this tension built up because it's too much of the same. Yes. And then as soon as it's like there's the other the the contrast balances out and it just brings relief. Yeah. So to to me it's like I, I don't get why it's opposites that have to create tension. It could be too much of the same thing that can create tension and then the opposite actually is the is relief. Oh. What? You <laughs> you found it by speaking. What? What do you mean? You, Am I you a genius? Found it. I didn't need to say anything. You just you just went off and found that yes. Yeah, I find. I don't know. You found that too much of anything ah. calls out for its opposite. Okay. Because there's tension of being imbalanced. Therefore, I must balance this out by finding something that I feel is an opposite. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I just said. But how, so, but that doesn't create tension. Well, here's here's the difference between how she teaches it and how I teach it. I teach in the composition course, there is a whole session on balance, and that is the use of opposites to relieve the tension of too muchness. Got too much red. Well, you can dial back the red or you can include some green or some gray or some black or some white to okay. balance it out, okay? Yeah. The other use of opposites is contrast. Contrast is not balance. Contrast is using differentness. Oh, interesting. Contrast is not balance. Not to relieve too muchness. It is to heighten a quality. Mm. Now, she has put those two together by just saying creative tension. Then she explains not about anxiety, not about self-consciousness, but about playing with, orchestrating sets of opposites for effect. And more than that, 
that wimpy writers, wimpy storytellers, and small minds cannot tolerate anything other than, he likes Nicolaides, he doesn't like Nicolaides. Gosh, which one is it? I can't <laughs> handle the fact that he's got both going on. The whole thing about this is to embrace opposite sides and see things from multiple point of, points of view. And that is a part of what's built into this clustering, is that we don't just go in one direction, we go in another direction, and even if we can find third and fourth directions. And this gets us past pat responses, knee-jerk responses, reactions that never counterpoint or tell the whole truth. Stan, it was profoundly important in my life in 1990 because I was so immersed in and contaminated with Aristotelian thinking gone wrong, mm -hmm. which is that if one thing is true, everything that does not correlate with that has to be false, rather than having the ability to embrace and pursue complementary truths and reverberant truths to that, uh, which is why to me, and also there were other writers in my life and other people in my life that were helping me with this, but she was one of the main ones where about two or three months thinking this through, I was thinking, I know that this is a problem with simplistic, my simplistic thinking, and therefore, Whenever I'm going in a direction with a thought, feel free to go with that direction, go with that direction, go with that direction. But at some point, take the other side, favor the other side, and run along with it. Now, I have a peripheral story. Okay. I've talked many times about Bob and Wanda Duncan because they were so influential in my life. They were the TV writers who were our babysitters. Yeah. Bob Duncan was one of the only people I ever knew who could have political arguments with people and keep goodwill. And as I got to know him as a grown-up and reminded him of how much tension happened in my family in political discussions. And he said, oh, I enjoyed it. I had a ball with your family. And I said, how did you have a ball with my family? Here's what he did. He said, uh, when it would start to get heated, he'd say, switch sides, switch sides. <laughs> That's and great. And he, he would yeah. take the other side and really run with it. And he'd beat them. <laughs> he'd prove himself That's wrong. Right. That's great. No, that's, that's, yeah. that's the, uh, the antidote to confirmation bias. It is. Yeah, that's great. He and Wanda were professional writers. They wrote almost 100 primetime television shows. They made another fortune writing novels. So, he was the creative professional in my life who when I saw that, I thought, this is a way to approach the exploration of thought and of stories, and in my case, teaching, because I applied this mainly to teaching, is that whenever we develop a premise, always find the counterpoint or the irony or the thing that, that pulls the rug out from under the argument we just built up so that we don't need to idolize it. Yeah. And a person could say, well, why don't you do that with Gabriel Rico's book? You're so sold on it that everywhere you go, nobody can have a conversation with you without saying, hey, have you read this book? You've got to read this book. It's a wonderful book. Yes, I really do hold this in high esteem. And part of it is, I feel like there are, there are other books 
Robert McKee's book on story is much more instructive than this book, but it's not that encouraging. There are people, or it is for some people, but a lot of people find it uninspiring because they feel shackled by the 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 many commandments in there. Ray mm. Bradbury's book on writing, Sin and the Art of Writing, is one of the most encouraging, inspiring books that you would ever read. There's several chapters in there in particular, but it is not that instructive. That one is not instructive. It's not that instructive. He tells you some stuff that's useful, but it's mainly you read it and you get your adrenaline pumped up that, oh, I want to write. I want to create. So it's very encouraging. Very encouraging. Yeah. And, and inspiring. I can list the chapters. We can put a placard in the YouTube that can explain what my favorite chapters are in Ray Bradbury's book. Okay, cool. Even when I mention this, I know people are going to say, well, what about Stephen King's book? Yeah, Stephen King's book is, is wonderful too. Oh, there's all- What about, what I mean, about this other one? What about I, I, this yeah, other one? I got about 20 <laughs> writing books that I yeah. like and then, uh, and then a number of others that, that I don't. But uh, Gabriel Rico's is inspiring. Yeah. When you read about clustering, you feel like I can solve any problem if I just get the problem down on paper and see it as a constellation, see it as uh, she uses the example of a, uh, the nucleus in the center is like a rock that goes into a pond and the ripples that go out from it. And then sometimes you change your mind and you choose another word as the nucleus because you thought, I thought this was the dominant word. I've got another one. Mm. She uses another thing for the, the another analogy for uh, clustering is that you, you can treat the nucleus as if it's a magnet that attracts, you're a little kid and you're pretending that this nucleus is a magnet and what does it attract to it? Oh, there, there are just all sorts of things like this. But one, one person pointed out that if, you know, the, uh, in, someone in the book, uh, Volk, I think was his last name, that it's like if the universe starts with a core thing that explodes out into other things, why should our creative process not start with a similar dynamic that is graphic and specific and prescribed as a way to generate ideas and then later later see patterns in them. Yeah. So the purpose of clustering is to find patterns, find associations you never thought existed. Um, now, when you start clustering, do you... Is there a purpose in mind or you, you really just let it go free and just don't have any hesitation at all? Like if, if, like if I'm actually trying to solve some very specific problem, mm -hmm. some creative problem, am I approaching clustering with that problem in mind or not? Yes. Because it, it'll, limit my, it'll limit me if I'm limiting myself to that problem, right? No, or, or, no, no. No? The, the problem could very well be the core word. Oh, so it could be a sentence. It could be the, like an explanation of the problem yeah. is the core word. Uh, simpler is better. If you can boil it okay. down. Like a very simple statement or yeah. thought or idea. Yes. Okay. It's sort of like when your dream mind solves problems. You know about things like Thomas Edison falling asleep with a set of keys in his hand. Do you know about that? No. He would give himself a problem and then he'd fall asleep with a set of keys in his hand over a, over a tin plate or something like that so that as soon as his hand would loosen, 
uh, it would wake him up because he was playing with the penumbra of maybe my my sleep mind can help me see connections, solve problems that I can't see when I'm in this state of tension with my conscious mind. And he wants to constantly wake himself up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, well, many techniques like this. <laughs> to tell yourself before you're going to sleep, I'm going to solve this problem in my sleep. And people report that they get some results from that. It's not going to happen every time, but you can get some results by letting your subconscious mind take care of it. In fact, Maxwell Maltz wrote a book called Psycho-Cybernetics mm -hmm. that had questionable science in it, but it was a very popular self-help book yeah. in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Uh, I read it three times when I was younger. <laughs> you read uh, every book 17 his whole times. whole premise was that when you want to reach to pick up your, your drink, yeah. you do not consciously analyze what every muscle is doing and you do not consciously tell it. Right. You imagine yourself drinking and then your subconscious mind takes care of the rest of it. Right. And so, he, he spun out from that to that we can do that on bigger things too. Mm. I can envision what I am going to do and if I hold it in my mind, I'll let a lot of the stuff going on under the surface work it out. Okay. When you put a problem at the center of the nucleus, you may spin out all of the peripheral things related to it and then you might say, I think a hunch tells me that this might be the solution to that and then you can work out from there. And you, the idea is to do multiple clusters and not hang on to them, not treat the, you don't have to use everything in there. They are generating options that we can't generate when we're slowing down to think and we're generating them around whatever we're deeming most important. When you let your subconscious pick up the cup for you, that's a lot more reliable. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Because you have already done that thousands of times in your life. Your brain has the exact connections already solidified to take you through that. But when you are asking your brain to come up with a solution to a problem that you've never solved before, yeah. those connections aren't there. You're, you're, like, you're asking it to follow a path that isn't in your brain yet. It, it seems like it'll, it'll go down some path and it might lead to something, but it's, it might not be very accurate. It might just be something, some kind of connection that was there. Yeah. But it's just like if you've never picked up a cup in your life before and you just let your brain do it, it'll probably figure out some kind of connection, but it won't bring the cup to your mouth. It's like a baby trusting its intuition to bring the cup to its mouth. It's going to end up smacking itself in the eye. I have two, two responses to this. Okay. One is we're, we don't want to expect too much. Okay. Oh, well, I envisioned it, therefore it must happen. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the other thing is what you just said about a baby. It's, you're, you've watched this and you're watching it again. Yeah. That the baby, without anybody telling it to, 
lies there like a blob and then eventually starts going like this. <laughs> yes. Like yeah. this, it becomes this turtle that wants to eventually, see the world. Eventually, eventually, yeah. Why? Because it's got something in it that almost all babies do. I want to see more of this world. And then it starts talking. Yeah. And so there is it it is a gradual process, but there's something universal. Now let me let me mention one of the dominant things that she focuses on is the childhood origins of creativity. That if you watch how creative children are, this is where we can get some lessons. She balances it by the end of the book, she doesn't become a stern taskmaster, but she lets us know you got to leave out most of it. Mm -hmm. You got to be critical. You got to okay. take out all of that stuff. You got to hone it down. So there is definitely a grow up after you've played like a child. But the, the bulk of the book is, is about the joy of discovering through playing. In fact, yeah. there is one chapter you may want to skip, chapter four on the difference between the two brains. Uh, but you might want to start with chapter five just to see if you like it because chapter five is a celebration of the aha moment, a celebration of the creative climax, the what she calls the trial web, where you cluster and then you say, hey, and she quotes one creative person after another for what a joy that is. And it just makes you feel like, I want to spend my life chasing ideas because of the enjoyment of finding things that I never thought of before and I can do it with nothing more than a pen and paper. Yeah. Uh, so the childhood origins that what ch children do seek things. They hunger, they hunger, they thirst, they want to see the world and eventually they will. So there is a lot of looking at what children do and learning it. And then there is this, here's the argument to be made. In fact, she quotes Marilyn uh, Ferguson on this, that creating insight, I'm not quoting, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, creating insight, coming up with ideas, good ones, is like making fire. And for most of the human race, we had to wait for fire to be made by lightning until eventually we come to the point where we can make fire with an act of will. And why not with creating ideas? Why not, can, why not say, I can sit down and come up with ideas the way I can make fire? She quotes John Gardner in there, every nightmare hints at the secret reserves of imaginative power in the human mind. And we need a magic key for getting in touch with the secret reserves of imaginative power. Uh, I guess I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> What we lack is not ideas, but a direct means of getting in touch with them. And she claims that clustering is that, that magic key for getting in touch with the things that happen in our nightmares that show how vivid our imaginations are. Okay. Yeah. So I think that my question of what if I end up smacking myself in the eye instead of putting the cup to my mouth? It comes from the expectation that if I do this clustering, I'm going to find the solution. I'm going to, I'm going to like, you know, if I, if I go to sleep with a problem in my mind, I'm going to wake up with a solution. And that's just not the case. No. Just like with a baby, the baby has to do it a hundred times before it accidentally puts the cup to its mouth and it has the aha moment 
and there you go. Now there, now now there's a little bit of a brain connection that leads to a to a closer to a solution, and then you can repeat. So it's like learning. This sort of thing is just like learning. You, you got to yeah. keep doing it. Eventually, you you get better at it. Yes, but we're also mixing what Maxwell Maltz was giving getting at with psychocybernetics, and what with Gabriel Rico is getting at in writing the natural way. She did not use the example of your subconscious mind picking up the cup. Okay. <laughs> but, okay, well, whatever. You brought it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I brought it up. It's part of the conversation. Let's, let's, let's sum this up. Okay. There is so much potential in our imaginations. Yeah. How do we get it out? And there are a number of ways. But one way that any creative person, I think, should be taught and should practice to get it out is this technique called clustering. She explains how there are two sides to our mind and each are important, whatever you call them. She calls them the sign mind. That's the supposedly the left brain. Like signs? Yeah. the, The one that is literal. Okay. This word means this, period. Okay. Language. Yeah. And the design mind. And the Mm. design mind is more chaotic and more playful and it doesn't follow rules. Wow. That's... Okay. That's clever. Okay. Now, the next thing she goes from there is that children, when they're young, don't have much in the way of the sign mind. They've got the design mind going Mm. radically. So, they see all sorts of connections because they have limited vocabularies. They have to reach for what they already know to describe something they don't yet know. And she's got wonderful examples in there of how children do that, as everybody has stories like that. Uh, And then when they get about six, seven, eight, and they start to follow the rules, their creativity starts to diminish. So, a lot of what she wants to do is teach you how to tap into that child mind by way of clustering, which is what we've talked about so far. I'm taking notes, Marshall. Dude. Dude. You are a student. All right. So, what's next? Then she goes into uh, principles. The principles of imagery, of rhythm. We didn't even talk about rhythm. Rhythm is another thing that all people in storytelling and sculpture and music, obviously in music, and picture making and in writing the sounds of the words and the way consonants get hit. So, that's very much for writers, the rhythm of the words. I mean, you could do the same thing with with rhythm of color and value and all that. Exactly. Yeah. To make that leap from rhythm of words to rhythm of any other elements in a picture, line weight, for example, is a common one. Gesture. Yeah. Rhythm of, of elements going through the body. Yeah. Then the use of opposites. And then as you continue uh, to get into critical mode, toward the end, revision. Revision is a principle? Revision is a principle. And she emphasizes that it's the word revise, re-see. Yeah, see it. Here was something that that contradicts what we talked about in what I talked about when we talked about developing an illustration. I mentioned that the closer you get to the finish of an illustration, the less creative you're likely to be because most of your decisions are made and they're starting to be set in stone. And that that may be a difference between pre-digital and now that we've got digital, you can change things radically. Mm -hmm. 
Well, what I forgot is that she makes a big deal that even when you're toward the end of your project, do another set of clusters to see whether you could rearrange, not just to get it technically polished, but see if there's a way to really rearrange it. Huh, but why does that sound so daunting? Just like, I'm almost done. And I'm going to try to see if I can start over and make it better. <laughs> it's, oh God. I, I, there, everything in me fights, that, fights me to do that. Yeah, I know. Right? Everybody's that <laughs> way because you've invested so much. Uh, yeah. But the point is <laughs> some great things happen that way. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the, the, the movie uh, analyzed this. If you listen to the commentary on it, Billy Crystal talks about how toward just to, uh, toward the beginning of production, they changed things dramatically. Here's an example that I use in the storytelling class. There's an episode of The Simpsons called The Telltale Head where Bart gets in with the wrong kids. There were four or five writers working on this. They wrote it in three days. They were happy about the fact that they wrote it in three days. It's a pretty good episode. But they had one problem with it and they decided if they rearranged a major order of how what the audience knew to switch from suspense to dramatic irony, to use the technical term, that it would make it a better episode. And it did. And it doesn't, it didn't take five to ten minutes to make a change like that. Uh, it really didn't lose anything and it gained something, and that happened after they'd already written and developed the story. So there, this is what she's doing here, is grabbing your head and saying, you've invested a lot in this. The wedding plans are made. The engagement is announced. Let's just swivel your head and look toward this and see whether you're absolutely sure. There is a, a, an encouraging you to get past the look how much I've invested yeah. attitude. How, how many principles does she go over? Let me read the chapter titles. Okay, and are they all principles? Because I want to write down all the principles. Okay. The chapter one is releasing your inner writer. Is that a principle? Yeah. It's that you don't think you can write. You don't know how well you can write until you've given it a shot. And we're going to give it a shot where you're going to stack the deck to make you a winner. Okay. Release the inner writer. Yeah, which is, you don't need that, Stan. <laughs> okay. You're already a writer. You've written well. You're not afraid of it. That is to take the beginner okay. and let them know you, you can do it. You, you're doing it okay. anyway. Let's see it. Okay. The principle is you can do it. You can do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's encouragement. <laughs> yeah. It's not saying stay out of this club. It's saying we're going to initiate you gently and it's going to be fun into this club. Okay. Chapter two, clustering. Oh, nice. Doorway to your design mind in which she explains the process. Now that's clustering is a technique. It is a technique. I'm, I know, okay. but I'm I, I, I'm finding myself self conscious in front of a camera and trying to my brain is speeding, <laughs> so this is going to slow me down. Okay, what's the next principle? Chapter three, the childhood origins of natural writing, and that is if you want to learn about creativity, you can learn a lot from children. Okay, childhood. Chapter four, sign and design words and the brain. Okay, but that and that relates back to children again. It relates to the fact that if we are going to train ourselves as 
as creative people, as Dorothea Brand puts it, we're training two different selves. We've got two different personalities in us, one that embraces the new and one that rejects the new. Okay. Uh, one that wants to play and one that wants to get down to, to serious business. Okay. Uh, chapter five. This is the one that I, I, I loved. I read it, I've read it twice and a half in the last go. Discovering design. The trial web. Trial web. Is that clustering again? The trial web is when you start to see a pattern in the clusters that oh, you okay. say, I think I've got a web here. I think I've got a connect. I think I've got a little, little galaxy here. Okay. So, that's the step three of the clustering method. What was step one? Step one is start with a word. Step two is create the branches and, and all the associations. Step three is analyze it. That's how I understood it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm not teaching you here. Step three <laughs> is that there comes a point where that can be pleasurable. That you say, oh, 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 hey, I didn't think of this. Yeah. And that's what chapter five is about. The trial web. is. Think of the first part of the title, discovering design. It was covered. We've uncovered it. We've discovered it and, mm -hmm. and seen something we didn't see. Okay, cool. Now she gets into principles. Oh. Chapter six is a principle. It's recurrence, the unifying okay. thread. Recurrence. What is that? That is that you repeat things and okay. it becomes a motif. And by the way, she does this in the book. You don't get three <laughs> pages into this, uh, through this book where she does not remind you of everything we've covered before so that it's like a fugue that way. Oh, interesting. You, you will have her regularly reminding you of the importance thing. One of them is recurrence. Another is rhythm, mm -hmm. language rhythms, music in words. Yeah. And then uh, another is the as imagery. Okay. Oh, gosh. Here's the difference between the first version and the second version. She added a couple chapters. Ooh. But I'm, I'm going to start with the first version. She added some principles? She added a couple chapters, yeah. And, and they were really worth adding. But let me go to the next one and the first one. It's uh, metaphor. Okay. We uh, wedding word to image. Marrying word and image is what she uh, uses as the title for the metaphor chapter. Okay. Then push, pull, push slash pull, creative tension. Is that the same thing? Yeah, it's the use okay. of opposites. It's a whole chapter on polarities. Ah, okay, so that is the opposites thing that you mentioned previously. And then we've talked about revision, Yeah. where now she says less is more. Now you've got to be critical about it. Re-see. And then the final one in, in the first version is coming full circle. What does that mean? That means that the end relates to the beginning. Is this like a step of... The process of I'm, I'm done with my painting and now I have to bring it to the beginning somehow? Or is this just like a, a way of thinking while I'm painting? I'm not sure. In painting, the way I apply this is in the lessons on directional movement. That an eye moves through a picture, whether we're aware of it or not. Mm -hmm. James Gurney has those heat maps that iTools did that shows where people's eyes tend to go in a picture. So, my application of this is that people's eyes are going to go into your picture somewhere and they're going to linger somewhere and then they're going to leave and they might come back to something and that you might want to pay attention okay. to how you're leading an eye around. It's not a, a one-for-one one 
analogy between writing. Writing is in a poem, in a poem, the first line or the first word is often the last line or the last word, maybe with a twist of thought. Okay. So that sounds like a technique as well. Yeah, kind of. But there is a sense of tying the end to the beginning. Why? That unifies. It's the principle of unity. You sit through an hour documentary and the images that were at the beginning start to come up about 50-some minutes into there and you sense we're coming to the end. Okay. So is it kind of like how... Um, have you ever seen the the show Chernobyl? I have it. Uh, I, because okay. On your recommendation, I haven't started it yet, but I want to see it. But is that... Yeah. Well, okay. I guess I was going to say it, it, the, whole, the whole show, the whole series starts with the ending. Okay. That's, that's, uh, that's a little different. It's a little different, so... <laughs> yeah, that, that's different because that's, that's more dramatic irony. That means I'm going to tell you the end from the beginning. Yeah. Why would you sit through it if you already know the beginning? Well, that's the irony. I know, the be- I, I know what the ending is. Ironically, I'm going to sit through this whole thing to watch it happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, uh, the director's commentary on that was that this show is not about the ending. It's about the entire story, the process of how it happened. That the ending isn't interesting. Everybody already knows the end, how it all ended. Mm-hmm. But the really interesting thing is how, mm-hmm. how it went down. And that's true. Like it's. Yeah. Here's another documentary that does something similar. Uh, there was a documentary from about 10 or 11 years ago, maybe more, on Alan Moore, the writer. And the filmmaker, Des, somebody, did a speech at Comic Con. And he talked about how since there is this theory that the universe is shaped like a football, you got a compression at the at one end that explodes into the Big Bang, and then you got a compression at the other end. He decided to rhythmically design this documentary so that at the beginning you got a compression of a whole bunch of images, and then it expands out into the body of the documentary, and then at the end you get a compression of the uh, images. So it was an artful way of giving you a feeling of beginning and end that are symmetrical in a way. That would be an example of coming full circle. It's a different metaphor with the football. But the idea is that when you wrap a ribbon around something, you tie the little bow so that the end and the beginning are connected. And it's a writing device. How it applies to art, I don't know. It's a little related to callbacks with stand-up comedians. It's a little related to plants and pointers and payoffs in a story, things that happen early and then later they're going to kind of come back. It's a little like motifs. Well, it might not be very much related to single picture making. Yeah. But any kind of sequential absolutely storytelling, comic book, storyboarding, I mean, that's all still visual art and that certainly applies there. It's it's more of a story element, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Even if you're doing a series of 12 illustrations for a book, the opening yeah. illustration and the final illustration can be related. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's unifying. Okay. Now, in the second version, she added at least two chapters here. Oh, this was a wonderful one. Chapter six in the new version, the Zen of improvising, recreations. And that is sort of like that Uda thing we talked about in the Hitmakers one, 
of where you change strategies, you redesign, you you try it over again. She actually had some of this in the first book, but she separated recreation into a, a whole chapter on its own in the second book. But wait, revision was a chapter in the first book. Revision is a near final chapter in the first book, but it's about less is more, pulling stuff out. Ah. She put in a new chapter called The Zen of Improvising. Okay. Recreations. And she added a chapter called Nuances. Huh. The Many Voices in the One. Okay. Which I thought that chapter alone was worth the price of the book. What is that about? It's related to earlier things, like metaphor, in that one thing can be many things. And I only read this chapter once because it's only in the new book. So I want to read it more, but I'll just tell you, I enjoyed the chapter on nuances. In fact, Stan, here's another thing I love about this book. It's printed on that pulpy paper <laughs> with wide margins. So you can write on it. So that, yes, I just, I fill it with my own notes. Uh, Let me see. She's got wide enough margins yeah, to where you can put notes in there and sometimes there's quotes, sometimes there's not quotes. Cool. I'm writing in this book so much that <laughs> it's like, well, you've already read that several times. Why are you writing it? It's sort of like when you have a piece of music that you like yeah, and that you know well and you listen to it and you air drum to it. I'm just adding things in there that are accents and interests of my own. But the, the chapter on nuance is that one thing has more than one side to it and to explore around that. Cool. I like it. This is the Draftsman podcast and we've spent the last hour plus on a book for writers. Yeah. But I've found it very, very useful so far in for any kind of creative thing. Good. <laughs> she has a quote in there from Albert Einstein who says, the essential feature of productive thought is uh, combinatory play. Combinatory? Combining yeah. things? Yeah. Okay. And this is coming from Einstein. That's the essential feature of productive thought is to see how you can combine things that you hadn't thought of. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Isn't that kind of the essence of creativity? Yes. And, you know, what, here's what I want to apply this to. I've got a number of things I want to apply this to. When Rick Griffin looked at the work that I was doing for ad agencies and the first thing that he said was literal and he didn't mean it as a compliment. He meant that you've drawn a machine and it is a machine mm -hmm. and it can't be anything more than a machine. Great. What are you going to do to expand my mind? And I, <laughs> I thought about it for a long time and I thought, how would you do otherwise? Mm -hmm. And one way would be to thumbnail around clusters. You want to draw a picture of a tree? You draw a picture of a prosaic tree and then you can say, I'll treat the tree like a lollipop. They do that in children's books. So, you, you, cl you do thumbnail clusters. Yeah. So, instead of writing words, you do little tiny doodles. 
that expand out from each other. Yeah. Nice. That's cool. One like a lollipop, one like an umbrella, one like a tornado. And then you may Mm. say, oh, that one like a tornado. I really like that. And then you start to explore with different kinds of tornadoes. Yeah. But the idea is you're always keeping it on this tree and you're trying different options and going out in different directions, similar to the way the tree does it. Yeah. And speaking of trees, here is here is something that I thought about with Einstein and also, you know who Mandelbrot is? No. He's one of the mathematicians in the late 20th century, mid, mid to late 20th century, who came up with a whole new way of understanding math, fractals. Okay. There's a documentary that, that interviews him. Uh, so many of these geniuses like Einstein and Mandelbrot, they, as they got older, they didn't necessarily do that much more because they didn't need more information. They needed what Einstein was getting at. And I'm figuring that at my age, I'm starting to be interested in trees. I'm reading books on trees and plants. And how much can I learn in the years that I've got left? It, it can take 15 to 20 years to gather all the data. But I'm starting to see that the important thing is not gathering data about trees and plants. The important thing is that every new truth that I can learn about a tree, I can think about it and how it applies to teaching, to writing, to the creative process, to Mm. the works of art that I'm making, even if they're not trees. I've got this book up here called The Book of Trees, <laughs> and it does not have a single photograph of a tree anywhere in it. Wow. It, the entire book is about trees as systems yeah. and how programmers and people who organize information use tree metaphors. So, <laughs> the enthusiasm- that was awesome. It's, yeah, it's making me feel like, okay. I got this book right here. You don't even look. You just reach behind you and pull it out. This book on trees. <laughs> trees were here on this planet before we were. Trees are so fundamental to creativity and how life... So, why not say, I could spend a few years or a decade and I don't have to know that much. I've only got to do the thing of looking at trees, seeing how they're different, seeing what their problems are, seeing how they evolve this way or that way, and saying, hey, I got an idea for how to whatever the issue is in life. That's that's the exciting thing about not needing more knowledge, but finding pathways between the knowledge we've already got and what we're and what we're doing, what we're trying to solve. Now that, that was sort of an answer to how Rick Griffin said literal. Mm-hmm. How we could get beyond literality is to cluster in images. Ver- uh, thumbnail with various metaphoric treatments around it and, uh, and, and discover that way. Cool. One last thing then. Uh, there is a quote from R.W. Girard in her book, How to Teach Rigor while preserving imagination is an unsolved challenge to education. Huh. Huh. I feel like I've been working on that for years and I feel like it's a worthy thing and that it can be done. And it's done the way 
Gabriel Rico and Nicolaides and other people have insisted on it being done, which is that you see two sides of yourself and you don't just say, because I'm right-handed, oh, that's my strength. I've got to work my right hand. I've got to work my right arm. I'm going to work it and let that left arm wither. And then somebody says, no, you did the wrong thing. Look at you. You're lopsided. Your left hand was weaker. You needed to exercise that one. So now I'm going to do that and neglect my right hand. Uh, it seems like the natural way to draw and the natural way to write is to see that we are complementary, bilateral, and therefore we can exercise each of those at the same time or in tandem with each other and grow strong both in imagination and in what Girard calls rigor, my technical skill. So that is where I am intending, among other things, to apply this in the coming years along with students. Wait, so she said that rigor and imagination, teaching both is unsolved, but did you just, did you just solve it? That all you really have to do is study both? <laughs> you have to balance it? She didn't say it. it was, she was quoting another uh, authority oh. on it. Okay. Uh, and I don't even know when he made that quote. So someone said that it's unsolved of how to do this. Yeah. But now you're just you're saying that the way to do it is to just practice both. Yeah. Well, I don't know whether it's unsolved. I I, I, oh. I don't know whether it's the reason is the reason I mention it is that when he says that's the unsolved challenge of education, uh -huh. I feel like, well, uh some of us have been working on that and we feel like that's part of what we have to offer. Is that it's not just gaining technical skill and losing your imagination, or it's not just being conceptually strong and not being able to do anything that we we should do both of these things. Okay. So maybe maybe that person was saying that it's the teaching of of the balance is what's difficult. Yeah, yeah. But artists on their own maybe have figured out how to get good at both, but trying to teach both is very really challenging. Yeah, and when I was complimenting myself on that I have been working on that, I realized I've been working on that for 31 years, which is since I started reading this book. When I first read this book, I thought, yes, students can be trained in the thing that they had when they were 19 and full of energy for ideas and yeah. what they get by the time where they're 30 and they've got technical skill that can get them hired. Uh, a lot of the emphasis on that over my last three decades has been because she pointed me in that direction. Okay. And there is a creative task that everybody could use this for. That is how to cross over. If you can read a book on writing the way Stephen Sondheim reads, reads cooking, cooking columns in magazines about how chefs go about putting dishes together, and he's not a cook, but he applies it to how he writes songs. If you can read a book on writing and apply it to whatever creative challenge you've got in front of you, then you're doing something creative at the outset. And it will, I think this book will put you in a direction that you will not regret. Cool. Okay. I'm, I'm highly enthusiastic and that's my, my recommendation. I'm also awesome. done talking because I know that there's going to be comments about Marshall's verbosity. No, I, I very much enjoyed this book review. So, thank you. You're welcome. Now I don't have to read it myself. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
No. What are we going to talk about next? Um, well, I believe the next episode is going to be more voicemails. So, we're going to talk about like 10 different things. Okay. Awesome, Marshall. Uh, what's your thing? What's your thing right now? Oh. Whoa, did you see? Did you see what I just did? I just brought back season one. You did? You did? You did you're coming full circle. Yeah, you're, you're tying the- Well. Well, not really, because we're not, not done. Really. Yeah, we're not really. We're not done. But you're doing recurrence. Recurrence. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> let me see if I have anything written down here. Okay, let me type in that word. Uh, what? What thing, word? Thing. Thing? Thing? Where are you typing? Are you Googling oh, your hey, thing? Oh, hey, yeah. Oh, I've, <laughs> got a, I've got a few. You can't get other people's things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google someone else's thing. I've got what's a few. What's your thing? Um, what's your thing? The Eiley Brothers. It's your thing. Oh, yeah. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. <laughs> All right. I can't tell you. <laughs> Who to sock it to? It's that's your my, thing. Do you know that song? Thing. I do now. Oh, it's a great song. The energy that comes <laughs> out of that singer is wonderful. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. Okay, do you, have a, do you have a thing? Oh, I have a thing that I'm excited for, but I haven't tried out yet. What is it? You know how I've been swimming regularly, right? Which, by the way, have I mentioned it? You mentioned part? it a long time ago. A mental time. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've been regularly swimming and it's been wonderful. Oh, wow. Great. I just ordered myself some Bluetooth uh, headphones that are waterproof. And so, I'll be able to listen to music while swimming. Doesn't that sound exciting? Yeah. It does. Oh, come on. It Wait, does. What? It could be great. It could be great. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what I found, Marshall? You know how when you walk... You, you get creative and you get all these thoughts. Yeah. I found that to be like on steroids when I'm swimming. Yeah. When I'm, when I'm doing my laps, I, I get into the zone and I just get into this like sometimes. It doesn't happen every time, but yeah. more than half the time, I get into this really concentrated zone of thought. And when I come out of the pool, I have so much stuff I need to write down. Um, and... I'm just excited that I, I think if I have music playing, it'll be even better. Yeah. I, well, well, maybe. <laughs> maybe or you might find that there's a point where you want to just listen to the sound of the water. But it makes sense. I don't think so. It, I, don't, you, I don't think so. You spent the better part of nine months at the beginning of your life floating. And so, yeah. you're when you're swimming, yeah, there's something really archetypally right about that for the freedom to free associate. I know that when I walk, I, I think better if there's music playing. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's my thing. Underwater Bluetooth headphones. Okay. <laughs> Al, the first song I'm going to play on there is It's Your Thing. It's, it's, your, your, thing. it's your thing. My thing is fruit. <laughs> my God. I am <laughs> rediscovering fruit. I never ate a persimmon until a little over a year ago. It's the first time in my life that I ate a persimmon. Did you just and find the thing right in front of you on your desk? My thing is napkins. Uh, well, Did you no. know how Hang on a wonderful second. napkins are? Have you ever eaten food and you got it on your face? Yes. Do you know why <laughs> this apple is here? Because you put it there. There used to be a famous saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Which is crap. It isn't true. 
<laughs> it doesn't need to be true in the same way that the right brain, left brain division doesn't need to be true. It's, it's real enough that an apple a day is a great source of fiber and sweetness and energy and, and, and also it's impossible yeah. to eat a good apple without going, oh, wow, this is great, or it's near impossible. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I like fruit. <laughs> My son would be, he w yeah, he'd be very, very much in line with you here. He, he eats at least like four different types of fruits every day. Yeah. That's his thing. Yeah. Last night after dinner, for, uh -huh. just for snack, okay, for uh -huh. snack, he had strawberries, blackberries, blueberries, and a banana. <laughs> That was his snack. And it was one at a time thinking that this is his one snack. So it was one full bowl of each. Like it's like a, a child's bowl, but still. Yeah. It was like a handful of each of those and one large banana. Yeah. So yeah, fruit, man, fruit. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. okay. See you next All week. Right, Thanks for being with us. See ya. Show her, show her, show her your uvula. Show her, show her, show her your uvula.